Welcome to God Books, the podcast where we talk to bookshop owners all around the world. On this episode, there are 200 page novels. When you go in and uh, you open the book, it's uh, formatted in sans serif type. Who, who, who in the right mind <laughs> designs a book, a 200 page novel in sans serif type? Of course, the kids are not going to read those novels. Located in the art district of Santurce, Puerto Rico, Librosace was an independent bookstore and remains a publishing house with a simple goal, to document the current and the now for future generations viewing pleasure. It first opened its doors in 2012 as a publishing house, bookstore, cafe, bistro, bar, piano practice and live music venue. With a selection of Spanish and English books, Librosace welcomed visitors with a friendly atmosphere and a good coffee. Owner Samuel Medina studied natural sciences at the University of Puerto Rico and began a doctorate in pharmacy before returning to San Juan. Some years before, he managed a literary magazine, Agentes Catalíticos, which led to him opening the Libro Sase publishing house and eventually the bookshop with the same name. Samuel is a writer, book romantic, and a community uplifter, and we are very happy to have him as our guest today. Hello, Samuel, and thank you so much for being with us today at God Books. Where are you joining us from? Hi, uh, I'm joining you from Santurce, Puerto Rico, San Juan. That's very nice to hear. We like to travel with this podcast quite uh, far away, and I think this is the furthest we've been so far. I wanted to ask you, traditionally, booksellers give us a tour of the bookshop, a virtual tour, how, how they see it through their eyes. I know that the bookshop is now closed, but I wanted to ask you whether you can... Tell us how it looked like until not very long ago. Yeah, okay. So actually, if you want to go and see what it looked like, uh, you can go to our Instagram page and also our Facebook. And I think the Google Maps, like if you go to Google Maps, it's still up. So you can actually do a virtual tour. But basically, Libros uh, stood in the, right in the center, in the heart of Santurce. So it's the arts district. It's where you have all the banks, the theaters, the cinemas. Uh, it's a really um, important uh, historical place in Puerto Rico because basically everything related to culture happened in Santurce. So you have the best artists and uh, also like we had the, the banking sector and the financial sector there. So everything literally happened in Santurce from the 60s all the way until the 90s. So the bookstore sat at a, in a corner and uh, it's like, a, like an L. The closest... I'm obviously it was far smaller, but um, you have if, if you've been to the Strand Bookstore in New York City. So basically, we also had like the red color in front of the in front of the building. It was all glass, really tall windows. It was divided into the bookstore area and also the restaurant. So uh, it was called Libros Hace, Libreria Barra y Bistro. So it was a bookstore, bar, and also uh, bistro. So when I sat with the architect and the engineer to design it, I, I had taken some pictures from a trip I had taken to San Francisco and also a trip that I had taken to Massachusetts and also um, New York, actually to Boston, Massachusetts and New York City. And so I took photos of my favorite bookstores and, and also other places that I, that I had seen. And I really loved City Lights Bookstore from San Francisco, also The Strand. And I think, what was the name called? I think they closed it down. It was in front of Harvard. 
and Boston, uh, Schoenhoff's, Schoenhoff's, yeah. Uh, so basically, I tried to do a hybrid between all of those three, not only in the sense of the aesthetic of the bookstore, but also of, of the, the feel. Like, how do you feel when you, when you go into the bookstore? How the books are arranged? What's the type of ambience? And also, uh, in particular, I really liked the way of uh, how uh, City Likes Bookstore felt. Also, in front of uh, City Likes Bookstore, I haven't been to San Francisco in more than uh, probably like 10 years, but I think that they still have a bar right in front of the bookstore. So it was really nice just to like go to the bookstore and after browsing around or buying a few books, go right inside of the bar and order like a hamburger and fries. So I thought, oh, maybe it would be cool, you know, to marry those two in the same space. So that's basically what Libros Ace was, a hybrid bookstore. And how did the, the story of Libros Ace actually start? Did you have the location in mind and then you went on this tour of bookshops to get inspired or how, how did it all begin? Yeah, so originally I'm from Carolina, 15 minutes away from, from Santurce, but I had recently moved to Santurce. And so I immediately, I fell in love with, with the area. And also I knew a lot, a lot about the history. So it just so happened that right in front of the building that I had moved in, uh, there was this space that, was, uh, that became available. And so I, I fell in love with it. it was, it's right in the middle of the main avenue. It's one Ponce de Leon. So basically that's like the main artery of Puerto Rico. It goes from Rio Piedras all the way to Miramar. That's the bridge to Old San Juan. So basically, the, uh, the main artery of Puerto Rico begins with the University of Puerto Rico and ends with a traditional uh, Old San Juan. I, I felt that it was the perfect uh, type of place to, to put a bookstore. Usually, bookstores in Puerto Rico for the past uh, 12 years were situated inside of malls. Right. Like uh, besides the ones that were in front of uh, colleges or universities, like most of them were inside a mall. So I just wanted to go back to, you know, those types of uh, community bookstores that you could just walk in if you were riding a bicycle or maybe like you were stepping off from a from a bus, like you could just go in. Uh, so I just wanted to bring a little bit of that uh, experience back. Mm -hmm. and, and from what we saw online, you definitely did that because uh, there are a lot of very positive reviews of people that have not only enjoyed, you know, the bookshop experience, but also the good coffee, for example, that you served. And we also saw, I also saw that you have a piano there that you use when you would hold concerts and many other types of events. And I wanted to ask you, I was wondering if this type of hybrid business, right, it's not just a bookshop, but it's also a bar, it's also a bistro, was this a way to make the entire business more sustainable or, you know, was this part of kind of your business strategy and how did that work out? Yes, yes, uh, definitely. It's very difficult in Puerto Rico to actually, you know, uh, be um, profitable, healthily profitable in the bookstore uh, industry. And so... And, but the same can be said also for the restaurant industry. So I just said like, okay, if I do three things in the same space, then there's more probability that it will be successful because sometimes when people, when it's not like the, when people are not buying books, maybe they're going to buy something from the restaurant. And maybe if they uh, went to the restaurant and they pass by through the bookstore, maybe they'll buy, end up buying a book. 
And so that was also another way of maybe uh, reaching out to people that otherwise wouldn't have bought a book or thought about going to a bookstore. So, you know, maybe like they went in for a coffee or maybe they went in to grab a beer and they suddenly saw a book cover that uh, caught their attention and, you know, they just grabbed it and then like they would go. I think one of the best strategies for bookstores is just to diversify in, in terms of what they offer to, uh, to their customers because the, the people that already read, they're going to go to the bookstores. What we should be uh, doing is you know, reaching out to people that don't know that they actually love books and they actually love reading, just that they haven't had the, you know, the push or maybe they haven't had that, those types of interactions. Libros Hacer comes from agentes catalíticos, which means a catalytic agent, right? So catalytic agents in terms of um, chemistry, they reduce the uh, activation energy so that when you do a chemical reaction, you get to the product way faster than, than you would do. So basically, the bookstore in itself was a catalytic agent in order to get people to get to read. Books are, are catalytic agents. You can suddenly uh, start reading a book, and in a very short time, amount of time, uh, you can experience what maybe took the author years of experience. Um, as we're talking right now, Libros Ace has uh, closed its doors. Um for a few months now. It has been open for eight years. And as any successful relationship or business, just because it ends, it doesn't mean it wasn't a great time or a great thing to have. Yeah. Um, yeah. We wanted to ask you about this because this is kind of a taboo subject in the bookselling industry and not only. Um, we want to ask you about why did it close its doors and how did it all go? How long did it take you until you made this decision? and? How do you feel about it now? Yeah, so the financial situation in Puerto Rico is um, extremely uh, difficult right now. Actually, just after Maria happened, you know, everything changed. So it was a 180 degree change from 2017 to 2018. So obviously, uh, there were some uh, financial struggles in the sense that it wasn't as profitable as it was before. I think that. As you said, there are some times that you make a project and that project does what it needs to do. And sometimes you just need to you know, close it to be able to do the next thing. So uh, since 2019, I was uh, already looking for a buyer for the bookstore because I thought, you know, it was successful. It, it did what it uh, was meant to do. And so it was uh, very, we were very lucky. I was very lucky to find a buyer. Right now, the bookstore is owned by the bookmark. So they've been in Puerto Rico for the past 10 years. They're a big distribution company as well. Uh, they have a bookstore actually in a mall. So now they have their own piece of, you know, of a community style bookstore. And uh, yeah, so we were planning on doing that arrangement by the end of 2020, sorry, by the end of 2019, uh, it was delayed. And then the pandemic happened, right? That didn't help. Yeah, that didn't help at all. <laughs> but, you know, we were forced to remain closed for three, two or three months because we weren't, we weren't an essential uh, business. We had to close down for two months. And afterwards, I, I opened again. I tried, you know, opening the restaurant. Also, uh, the bookstore, we already had the online store running. So basically, 85% of the business that I've made in those last months were made through 
the online store. And then we, we went back into talking about the negotiation and, uh, uh, and they decided to, to buy. And so that's what happened. <laughs> How do you feel about it now? Are you at peace with the idea? I mean, again, I think that obviously uh, I'm in love with the bookstore and I'm in love with what it was like my baby for the last 10 years since I began um, thinking about it and also building it. But I think it's the right choice. Sometimes, you know, you have to close a chapter just to be able to continue on. It's not as if uh, Libros Hacer doesn't exist. It exists because it's, it's still a publisher and uh, I still have a lot of projects in mind. But, you know, sometimes it's good just to step back for a while and, uh, and see, you know, what, what you can do. One of my favorite graphic designers, his name is uh, Stefan Steigmeister. He's from New York. So he has this for a graphic firm, right? And so he goes into business for, I think it's six years. And on the seventh year, he closes down. Like no matter like if he receives like a multi-million dollar contract or whatever, he decides to close shop. He goes on a trip with all of his team. And after a year, they go back at it. So that's the way how I'm viewing it right now. Like I'm just taking a small vacation to be able to go back and, uh, you know, come with new ideas. That's a nice way of looking at it, actually. Yeah. Um, I know that uh, Libros Ace had a lot of events going on and you'll probably still continue to have them. Um, which mm -hmm. one was closer to your heart and which one would you say you would miss the most? Okay, so we had these, um, well, two, okay. So we had these series in which we would uh, record and we would film independent uh, music bands from, from Puerto Rico in the music scene. And so we would close shop and we would film them in these like very private settings. And then we would uh, produce the, these, uh, this, these videos basically. And so we would upload them to YouTube and uh, you can actually go right now and see all the ones that we, that we shot. So I've always seen Libros Hace not only as a bookstore, as a publisher, but mainly as a, uh, as a producer of a publishing company. So it just so happens that maybe like we just produced like a book or maybe we, we built a bookstore, but also we maybe we produced uh, a music video or we did a documentary or uh, maybe we were executive producers on a short film, which we have. Uh, actually, there's a film. It's called The Least Worst Man. It's in HBO. Ooh. It was shot by one of my friends, uh, director Orlando Torres. Uh, he's uh, from uh, Puerto Rico. He's now living in, in, in New York. But we were executive producers in that short film. And so when you go and watch, I think it's in HBO Max. When, when you go to HBO Max and you uh, or HBO now, I forgot the name. Uh, when you start the film, you actually see our logo. <laughs> so, so, so that's kind of cool. We've also done theater. We've produced theater on the island. So I see Libros Hace as a platform as a publisher, like it can do basically anything. Oh, and I forgot about the other thing. The the second favorite thing it was the the private the the parties of the uh, of our anniversaries. Like they would get crazy. We would have two stages, and uh, for example, we would have ten bands in the span of only like five hours. So we would have a stage in the right in the middle of the bookstore, and we would have another stage in the restaurant. And as soon as one band would end 
the the other band would start uh, playing, and the bookshelves would <laughs> they would uh, they would vibrate. Like th- there was a couple of few times that I that was afraid that the books would just you know fall. <laughs> would just fall or, or maybe they would join the party you know um this is really amazing samuel and also i think for us now quite cool to imagine this at this particular moment in time when we uh you know barely leave our houses there are no concerts nothing like that we were just we were just talking about uh the fact that some friends of mine sent me a memory of one year ago when we were in a zoom call and I just yeah. thought that's not a memory. It's just I'm the same person that I was a year ago. It's just been a year of Zooms. Yeah, yeah. Like there's there's a video that we have. There's one of those anniversary parties, and there's this band playing Campo Formio. It's excellent. Uh, you should uh, go to Spotify and, and listen to them. Uh, so basically, they're like very they play hard, and so right in the middle of the bookstores, in between the shelves, there was a mosh pit. <laughs> So, so you can imagine the contrast between what was, what what we could do back then and what we could we can do right now. Definitely, I I, I miss those days. Um. So I wanted to ask you, given that the space was so versatile, and you know you had all these different things happening there, from concerts to book launches, all sorts of meetings and events, um, very diverse space, right? A lot of things happening there. So, what types of books could we expect to find? What sort of books uh, did you like to have in your bookshop? Were you focusing maybe more on contemporary uh, literature or maybe more on uh, South American writers? I like a little bit of everything. I like literature, American literature, South American literature, Central American, Caribbean, Europe, from everywhere. And also we have business books, kids area. Um, I'm a big fan of manga. So there was a lot of Japanese influence cookbooks, like, you know, a little bit of everything, but I'm in favor of randomness. So I just wanted to create a bookstore in which when you would go in, literally anything could pop up. The way that we chose the books, uh, it was staff picked. So I would just say to the the staff, hey, here's an, uh, an order sheet, fill in the books that you want, that you would like to read or that you want in the bookstore. And so everybody would do that. And then we would uh, join all of those sheets up. And uh, I, would, I would be the one, I would be the last filter. So I would just like uh, choose how many quantities, for example. Another way to, that I looked at it is I wanted a bookstore in which I would have books that I would, if I could, I, would, I could read. There's only, you know, you only have a, limit, a limited amount of time in your life to read a certain amount of books. So the way how I chose the books was very simple. Like I would, I would think if I could live for, <laughs> for thousands and thousands of years and I could read everything, I would choose those books based on that. So every book that was in Libros Asse was a book that you liked, would you say? It was not necessarily that I would like, but more so, obviously we had these bestseller books and all these self-help books. If I would live another life, then maybe I would read them. I think that like 85% of the books that were in the bookstore, I was interested in at least browsing through them because I mm-hmm. think that they would communicate something to me that otherwise right. I would not know about. And so we know that Libros is uh, not only a bookshop, but also a publisher. Yeah. And what came first? You started as a publisher was it, or was it the bookshop first? 
No, it was the publisher. Libros Hace started out as Agentes Catalíticos. So that was an online magazine. And so we would publish contemporary Puerto Rican authors in that magazine. And we would also, some authors would upload their audio files so you could also listen to them. Uh, after that, we, uh, Agentes Catalíticos became a printed magazine. And after the printed magazine, we started uh, publishing books. Um, so that happened. The magazine started in 2000, online magazine in 2007, then the printed in 2008. And then in 2009, we started publishing books. So actually, we've been in the industry or in the game for the last um, you know, 14, 14 years. The bookstore came in, in the, at the end of 2012. So we had already been publishing authors, Puerto Rican authors, five years prior. Uh, we've published authors like Maria Santos, Mayra Santos Febres, Luis Negron, uh, Sergio Gutierrez Negron, uh, Juan Luis Ramos, Juan Lope Pausa, Karen Sevilla. So the publisher's intent was to publish the new, the new canon. You know, so for example, I would choose authors that I was interested in, uh, or uh, you know, books that I had already read. Like for example, Javier Avila was my was a professor of mine, and I loved his novels and so and uh, poetry. And so I would approach him. I would tell him, "Hey, uh, I just started this publishing house. If you have something, I would be really interested in publishing it for you." And so we would publish it. And afterwards, he would recommend other authors. So that's how. Basically, we did the, the curation. So it's pretty organic. We weren't interested in publishing X amount of books per year. I was just interested in creating this quality or what I thought it was good quality of literature. And when you have a publishing company or when you have like a, an imprint, you're obviously betting that this book will have this impact in the future. So that's how I view it. So... So that's how Libros Aces started out, basically. And are there any authors that you either discovered or published and promoted that, uh, you know, that you're very proud to have chosen, that you're very happy to have maybe placed a bet on? Yes, of course. Juan Luis Ramos, he has two excellent books. They haven't been translated yet to, in to English. One is called Rierta TV. They would be like Brawl TV. If you like Shock Pulanic, so he's like kind of our Shock Pulanic from, from uh, Puerto Rico. He also has this other book that's called Shadow Play, very contemporary. Um, there's also Sergio Gutierrez, Sergio Gutierrez Negro. Uh, we published his first um, novel called Palacio. He has, in fact, been published into uh, English and other languages already. He's a great author, uh, Luis Negro. He actually won the Lambda award a few years ago and he's already been translated into english by susan jean levine juan lope pausa we published this 900 page epic it's not necessarily a, a literal retelling of don quixote but it's like our own don quixote based in the 90s and so that book got uh, it was bought by planeta grupo planeta from from Mexico. So uh, what I'm proud of Libros Hace is that basically all the authors that Libros Hace published, either they got awards 
or they were internationally uh, renowned or they won a prize or they were picked up by other big publishers. I think, you know, uh, there, there were good bets there, right? Yeah, it's a good track record. Yeah, yeah there's, there's a few good bets. Not a lot, but, you know, there's a, there's a few. Because we actually, like, in the past 15 years that we've been uh, in the publishing industry, I don't think that we've published more than 25 books, maybe. You know, it's a uh, it's small publisher. It's a small publisher. Does it still make it um, a sustainable business? I was wondering. So, okay, so back then... I was in college. So basically yeah. I would do this like in my, in my spare time. So for me, it actually worked because I would design the books at the beginning. I would, well, actually I designed all of them, but at the beginning I would edit them. Afterwards I would go and find somebody else that would do uh, proofreading and that they would do the, the editing and everything else. But back way back then uh, I would do everything. So it was very, profitable in that sense. I would print the books in Colombia. I would make all those arrangements. I would go pick them up in the airport. I would go and distribute them through all the bookstores. I had my own Amazon shop like in 2000, yeah, way back from 2007, 2008. I would sell the books for there. If you couldn't buy from Amazon, I would ship them to your, <clears throat> to your mailing address. If you would mail in, uh, you know, a certified check, you know, uh, everything has changed from way back then. Like right now, it's extremely easy. You just open a Shopify account and you're set to go. It was profitable only because I would mostly do everything. And so, you know, I didn't have employees back then. So we have to ask you now, 100% of the booksellers we had on our podcast so far are not big fans of Amazon. Yeah. And um, you just mentioned this is how you started. You used Amazon. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, what is your relationship with Amazon and how do you feel about them and Amazon versus the, the independent booksellers? Yeah. So I think that they're a great tool, but I think that Amazon is as powerful as you let them be. And I think that the mistake that the book industry did was that they gave them too much power. So basically, they gave them a great, you know, did discounts. They gave them a lot of leeway. And a lot of authors went into the platform. And so I think way back then, I used them because I had to. But I was always at conflict uh, with the company. But I would say, okay, they're only an intermediary, right? It's not like I'm only selling them, selling to them exclusively. It's not like most uh, distributors are doing right now, most publishing companies right now. The booksellers are basically getting massacred because they're not getting the same relationship as Amazon is getting. Uh, you know, it's not the same discounts. They can afford to give a 40% discount on uh, new arrivals because it's pretty incredible. There's, a, there's, a, there's an interview with uh, Jack Bezos when he was beginning Amazon. I think it was from 1995 or 1997. And he, like really smart guy, obviously. <laughs> but, but he said something that was genius. He said that he browsed for different types of products. And he found that books were the most, were the item that had the most diversified demographics. So they're a big unifier. 
So basically, people that are into engineering, they have to go to the store because they have to pick up the engineering book. Uh, people that like literature, people that are learning, you know, there's all types of people need to read certain type of book. So basically, you know, that was his, his, um, how, how do you say that when you go fishing? That was the bait. Uh, yeah, that is, sorry. Yeah, that was the, that was the bait and was the perfect bait. And right now it's still the bait because they don't make money selling books, but they make money on the other things that they sell, Right. So you go into Amazon looking for a book and maybe you buy something else. But you know, that's the great disadvantage. The bookstores, the most bookstores don't have because we don't have the infrastructure. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of money that you have to invest in order to properly uh, be able to compete in terms of technology with them. But yeah, I'm still at conflict with them. But I think that, you know, for authors, it's a great uh, tool. For publishers that are just starting, it's also a great tool. But what I would say is that give, if, if you're going to go to Amazon and you're, uh, and, and you're an independent publisher or you're an independent author, when you go to your bookstores, to your local bookstores, give a better treatment to local bookstores than, than what you do with Amazon. So try to incentivize that people, instead of going to Amazon, that they, that they pick up the books in local bookstores. So there, there's a lot of ways of, of, uh, of looking at this and examining this. But at the end of the day, it's a great tool. Uh, but we have to be careful with the power that we give because we're the ones with, that have the, the power. Right. Um, it's, a, it's a conflictual one, right? I think it's a conflictual relationship for many booksellers. And I have to say that everyone we interviewed, I think everyone, maybe there's one exception to this rule, but everyone at some point mentioned Amazon, not in a very positive way. As you said, they use it as a tool, maybe as a necessary evil. Um, and there's not so much power that they can have in front of Amazon. But uh, yeah, I think this is a topic that we could spend probably days talking about. It's hard, it's hard not to talk about them, it's true. Yeah. I, I think the other week was Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp were down at the same time because they're the products of the same company. And we were all yeah. like, oh, oh, I guess there's no, no way of me communicating with anyone now. Yeah, I think that Amazon actually, that's their main business right now, AWS. So they gave uh, these uh, the servers. It's, uh, it's uh, very dangerous. Yeah. Um, moving on to uh, talking a little bit about the human aspect, which is, you know, the people who used to visit your bookshop and your relationship, yeah. uh, your relationship with them. What type of people come in and were there a lot of regulars? As I said, we were in the middle of, of Santurce. So we have the hospitals, the banks, uh, you know, the law offices. So all of those people would go in into the bookstore either to get a coffee in the morning or to have lunch or a late dinner. But we also uh, received a lot of students. There was a couple of schools. So as soon as they would go out, uh, at three o'clock, they would go into the bookstore just to hang out, to read. Most of them would go to the manga section immediately uh, and read comics. There was uh, quite a few that they, you know, they would bring instruments and they would practice there. Uh, there were a lot of uh, students that they would take their uh, their after class studies in, in in the bookstore. A lot of people from college, from universities, a lot of startups would use uh, the space. 
as a place, you know, to, to, to gather and, and meet. Puerto Rico, it's a very, um, we're a very rowdy type of people in terms of um, when, it, when it comes to politics, right? So uh, we also get a very diversified uh, class of people. And the interesting thing is that, you know, you would be at any moment in time, like you would be sitting right in front of a pro-statehood party member and right beside them, you know, a college student who's uh, very pro-independent, uh, independency uh, movement. But at the same time, like they would, they would talk to each other like, like nothing. So Libros Ace was a place to gather and to share and to meet face to face, you know, because right now people can text and, you know, they can write a lot of posts on Facebook. They can get into very uh, unnecessary fights. It kind of distances us from the humanity. The bookstore gave us a little bit of that back. <laughs> yeah, truly a community space. And I'm sure a lot of parents were, were really happy that their kids were hanging out in a bookshop after school, sort of all the other options available. I don't think there's a better place where they can hang out. And now for the bookseller's quiz. How many books are in Libros Ace? So we used to have between 3,500 titles to 4,000 maybe. What was the last book you sold in your shop? Uh, it was Jean Baudrillard's America. What is the project you're currently focusing on? So I'm focusing on how to develop a publishing house inside of the crypto space. So I'm trying to merge blockchain technology with uh, book publishing. I'm still not sure how that's going to end, but I'm going to try. What book are you reading at the moment? Investment Philosophies by Aswath, I think his name is Tamadora. I'm reading into uh, financial topics and that sort of stuff, but also like I try to balance it out. So I'm also reading Lee Young Lee's uh, The Undressing. It's a small poetry collection. What's your second favorite bookshop? We also read that you were not only a space for, you know, entertainment and get-togethers, discussions, political debates, but you actually played, at one particular point especially, you played a very important role in your community. And I'm referring to Hurricane Maria and, you know, one of the most powerful natural disasters that occurred in recent history and it deeply affected Puerto Rico. And you decided to give back. You were celebrating your fifth anniversary, if we're not mistaken, and you decided to do that by giving back. And I wonder if you can tell us a little bit more about that. Yes, yeah, so uh, in 2017, September, uh, Maria, Maria happened, and uh, it was the biggest hurricane. I think it's the second biggest in the history of Puerto Rico. It was total devastation, and... Uh, you know, uh, we, we had to close down for three. Actually, you know, we only closed down for between three and five days. We ran the kitchen without electricity. So because we had the gas lines open and so we still had a lot of food. So we started preparing uh, food and we would just like sell it for like $4, $5 to everybody that was in the surrounding areas because literally you couldn't find a bottle of water. Like after, after a week, most of the supermarkets, they didn't open for a week and a half or two weeks. So 
in that sense, we were, we were kind of um, lucky that we were always compared to two weeks prior in terms of our uh, inventory, our kitchen inventory. And so a few days afterwards, we opened, we had a ban, right? A big ban. And so I came up with the idea. So, okay, let's, like, there's a lot of people that, that need help in, the, in San Juan, but also there's even more people that need even more help in other areas, like in the, in the coast, where there's literally everything was, you know, uh, if, if San Juan was hit bad, you, know, you, didn't, you didn't even want to see these, these towns. And so as soon as the supermarkets opened, we went and we bought a lot of food and we bought a lot of essentials and we did the, these emergency bags and we went to these towns and we handed them these uh, bags and also we uh, cooked uh, food like lunch and we took it also in the van. We went to Loisa, for example, and we handed out like 150 lunches in, a, in an evening. And uh, we also went to very uh, poor communities and uh, tried to help with uh, whatever we, we could. It's, it's funny because the bookstore started accepting crypto payments in 2017. And so uh, we had that account. Uh, you know, we would receive Bitcoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash. And so I never, I just kept holding it, right? And when the hurricane hit, I went to that account, you know, and it had gone up by a lot. And so I, I literally took what I had earned, what the bookstore had earned from, from that crypto account, and I put it all into to buying food and essentials after the hurricane. So that's the way how we were able to, to, to do that. Our anniversary was in October 3rd. Obviously, we couldn't open the bookstore or do or no, nobody was with that mindset. Uh, but, you know, it was the next best thing to do to celebrate in that way. And we also now that I'm uh, I keep remembering a lot of stuff now we were, that we were talking about this. I hadn't thought about um, I hadn't remembered this uh, quite in a while. But we also we took some a band, a bomba and plena band, and we took it with us and wherever we would go and hand all these uh, essentials and food. We would also go with the, with the band and they would play for everybody. You know, just to lighten the mood. It was, it was amazing. Like, there's a couple of photos, like we, we documented everything. That's, uh, that sounds really nice. Going back a little bit, this all started with you falling in love with books and with reading. And I was wondering whether you remember the first book that... Um, triggered something in you or if you want to think of it as in terms of the butterfly effect and if you have one book that made you think that hang on like I really want to do something involving books or involving reading or anything like that yeah so when I was around nine or ten years old I was taking English classes with this tutor and so he brought he was from Haiti and so he brought in this abbreviated version of a tale of two cities. I don't know why <laughs> you would think that, you know, a nine-year-old, a 10-year-old kid would, uh, you know, it was that, that was a good idea. I loved it, of course, but it gave me nightmares. And so, like, I, I kept having this image of there's a part in the beginning of the book that it tries to illustrate how the blood in the streets would run down like wine. I don't know if that's a direct quote from 
from the book, but I, I remember that. And that image has stayed with me since then. And, you know, it was kind of like strange to me that words could do that. And also my, my mother was a teacher, a high school teacher. So she always would buy me books and uh, magazines. I was also a gamer. Like I, I loved video games. And back then when, when you would buy like an, for example, an RPG video game from Super Nintendo, they would come with these booklets and the booklets themselves were like encyclopedias and uh, they had a universe inside of them. Like you could actually be playing the game without even turning on the, the system. Like you were already in the world without even playing it just for words. Those things made an impact. My family is a far- we're owners of pharmacies, right? And so in the 90s, we had also this video rental store. It was one of the first video rental stores in Carolina, inside of a pharmacy. Yeah, you know. And, and so I was also obsessed with the, with the covers of the, of the VHS uh, tapes. And so I think that that also made an impact on me. And we also had a toy store. It was a, like, we, we call them super pharmacies. We have a little bit of everything. I remember that I was, I was also always very um, enamored with the fonts and the design and the colors and the arrangement. Now thinking, thinking back now, I think that I married those two, like the experience that I had reading those passages from Tale of Two Cities and also the love that I had for cover designs of boxes of toys and the VHS tapes. That's how I, maybe I arrived to, to designing books. I really, I really don't know. But, you know, typography communicates a lot of things. When you read the history of, a, of single typography, there's so much content and so much data ingrained in a font that, it, that you know, that's also yeah. another topic that's very incredible. Uh, I'm sorry if I jumped from, from to that, but... Um, and that tends to happen in these conversations quite a lot, and it's uh, no problem. Uh, no, but I think you're right. I think, uh, yeah, font is never just a font. And uh, the other day we were talking to the owner of a children's bookshop in our home country in Romania, in one of our past episodes, and she was telling us how important it is for children's books to be really well illustrated to the point that they're now these masterpieces in illustration, and there's such a deep connection for children uh, as they read, you know, between the text and the illustration and the words and the storyline. And, you know, that kind of sadly goes away when you're an adult because uh, you just have the text to, to work with. Maybe something for you to look at as a publisher. Maybe we can change that. Oh, I totally, I totally agree. And for example, here in Puerto Rico, I think that there's a lot of problems in education that you can only solve with design. So for example, there's a few books in Puerto Rico. They're obligatory readings for high school students. Some of these books, like they're 200-page novels. When you go in and uh, you open the book, it's uh, formatted in sans serif type. Who, who, who in the right mind <laughs> designs a book, a 200-page novel in sans serif type? Of course, the kids are not going to read those novels. So, and also like the covers, they're just horrendous. What's your favorite font then? Uh, if it's serif, it's bembo. I can name a few, like there's also New Caledonia. New Caledonia is the perfect type if you want to design a book 
that's meant for education. It's like very it flows. It's uh, it's excellent. But you know, if you want to go a step ahead, like the next level, Bembo, it's an amazing. It's an amazing typography. If we're going with sans uh, serif, then obviously I think Helvetica. People hate <laughs> a lot on Helvetica, but you know Helvetica, it's perfect. There's a documentarian uh, about Helvetica, and they call it. It's like water. It's like air. You can't live without air. You can't live without water. So I would have to go with Helvetica if I would have to choose. Or, or you know what, Futura. It, it's incredible that typography has more than. I think like like 70 or 80 years and it's the most futuristic typography that probably was the humanity has has designed it's timeless libros hacer the typography it's called sanchez and it's called i don't know them but i just know that like, i love i love their their font firm and i know that i think that they're from chile and it, it's called uh latino type their typography is amazing. So if you want to, like, if anybody that's listening right now needs something, just go to my fonts, type in Latino type, and look at their family types. They're excellent. This is really cool. I feel like I learned so much about fonts, and I'm going to try to make sure that uh, when we make our images for the podcast, for example, we, we try to include some of the fonts you mentioned. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. I actually know that uh, we have some graphic designers and people who are more interested in the aesthetics of books among our listeners. So uh, maybe maybe they're listening to this and they're learning something as well. I also wanted to ask you, I take this opportunity because uh, I'm not sure when we're going to get to chat to someone from Puerto Rico next. So I'd like to get a feel for, um, for the local uh, reading flavor, let's say. And I'll explain in a moment what, what I'm talking about. I know that uh, you published a report uh, maybe about two years ago about readership trends in Puerto Rico. I think you were hoping that this becomes a joint effort for all the bookshops in, in Puerto Rico. Can you tell me a little bit about how you've noticed um, trends change over the years in terms of what people are reading, how much they're reading? How is that uh, looking? Yeah, so in Puerto Rico, we don't have a lot of data and information. We haven't documented the reader trends, right? I think I began doing that in 2013 or 2014. And so I gathered all the data from all the books that we had sold during, uh, I think it was two or three years. And so I would do these annual reports because I was very interested about what people in Puerto Rico would read. It was uh, local literature versus international literature, uh, books in English versus books in Spanish, if the authors were women authors or male authors, if uh, the authors were already dead or if they were still living. And so I, I arrived at the same conclusion, like we are very varied readers, but we read a lot of Puerto Rican literature, more than I thought. We're immersed in our own uh, culture. You know, we're very patriotic about our literary production. We, we don't have a, as a high of percentage of readers as maybe in other countries. But the ones who read, read a lot. There's a lot of repeat customers in, in the bookstore, you know. They would come in every week to, to books and they would read them like, because we would discuss them afterwards. <laughs> I, I was wondering, while I was listening to what you were saying, you know, about people reading a lot of authors from Puerto Rico, a lot of books written by 
uh, yeah, by local authors. And I have no idea what the data is on this, if there is any data on this or if it's uh, just in my mind. But I used to live in Ireland and I noticed this um, phenomenon that a lot of people read almost exclusively Irish authors. And I think Ireland is uh, pretty similar in size to, to Puerto Rico. And I don't know if uh, it's a phenomenon of a small country, of a small place that uh, there's this patriotic reading going on. I don't know if you have any any insights on this. There was this political author uh, that compared Ireland with Puerto Rico because, you know, we've had our own struggles, right? Like different struggles, but the same. Uh, there was a nationalist movement in Puerto Rico for a long time that fought for our independence, right? Um, so I would also bet on that. Like, it's very logical to think that way. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. It also depends uh, the demographic, because if you go to the younger demographic, mostly they only read books in English. So they're into young adult novels. Uh, so if you take 13 until maybe 25, they read a lot of uh, fantasy books and uh, young adult books. They're into reading the works in their, in their original language. That didn't happen in the 90s and early 2000s as much. That's something that we've been transitioning into for the past two decades. Give us some names. What are some popular authors nowadays in Puerto Rico? Oh, in Puerto Rico? Yeah. Okay, so Mayra Santos Febres. I think that she's one of our most famous authors. Eduardo Lalo. I would also say Luis Negron. Manolo Núñez Negrón, Sergio Gutiérrez, uh, Mara Pastor, she's an excellent writer, Juan Luis Ramos. So they do read a lot of local authors primarily, and then it's international yeah. authors less. Yeah. Most of our authors, like, if we would describe the, the Puerto Rican author, it's, it's typically a poet or a short story uh, author, right? So we're we're really good at, at those two genres. The novel, we have novelists, but now with people like Maria, Maria Santos Febres and Juan Lope Pausa and Manolo Negro, we're starting to develop our, our new uh, narrative and we're building on that category. Maybe it has to do because, you know, Puerto Rico was one of the last islands in the Caribbean to uh, get a, a printing press, right? So maybe, you know, that has some sort of repercussions, right? It's not to say that we didn't have, we, we, we had 19th century novelists and early 20th century novelists, but mainly we're known as great poets and great short story writers. Um, if you were to s speculate or, you know, just um, what is your opinion on, what kind of support does the book selling industry need in Puerto Rico right now? What is missing? What is missing? Okay, so I think that what is missing, obviously, like we can, we can always say that, you know, the government should give uh, more incentives to bookstore owners, but not only to bookstore owners, just people, entrepreneurs that are into, uh, into arts and culture. There's not a lot of incentives for Puerto Ricans to go into arts and culture and to make businesses out of those. So, so I, I could talk about that, but I think that also like, I'm a great believer 
to a certain extent of the free markets. So I think that we have to make whatever you do, you have to make it desirable and uh, you have to communicate something. So I think that even if we can make those critiques, it has to start off from, from us. We have to communicate our passion for books, our passion for literature, and uh, we have to make those things desirable. Like people won't just grab a book just because you say it's good. We have to sell ourselves. And it's not just to say like to, you know, to talk about books or to talk about this industry in a superficial manner, but it's just the reality of things. You know, at the end of the day, that's the magic to, to a certain extent of, of book covers. There's some books that you basically you only buy because the, the, the cover is so beautiful. And, and it communicates something to you that, you, you know, you just have to grab it and, and buy it. I'm also at odds with this question. It's similar to the question that you asked me earlier about, about Amazon. You know, there, there's a lot of sides to, uh, to this story. Yeah, but at the same time, I think you're right. Uh, and I think booksellers are, of course, aware of this. This is an industry. Bookshops are businesses. They need to survive. And I don't know, perhaps if we, if we look at books as these kind of sacred objects that should never be commercialized almost, that maybe it's actually more damaging, more detrimental to the world of books than if we try to make them more appealing for more people through covers, through whatever might make them actually be read more. Yeah, books are, are, primary, are an object all by itself, like they can't be compared to anything else. Like for example, a lot of people say eBooks. They're not eBooks, they're just websites that you pay for the lock and you can, you know, when you unlock them, you can read the text, <laughs> right? Uh, and there's no such thing as, a, you know, they keep saying, you know, digital books. Books have always been digital. You know, you know, if you go to the etymology, etymology of the word digital, you know, it comes from digit. Like it's an imprint. So when you print the book, you're digitalizing already the book. But, you know, these industries, like they, they're only, in this, in this case, Amazon, they're only interested in convincing people to buy digital books because it's better for them. They don't have to pay uh, warehouse fees. It's a limitless book. But there's also uh, dangers in doing this. What Henry Borges, in one of his, uh, in one of his stories, in Tlung, uh, it was it's it's, it's in fictions. Uh, the story is called Tlung Upar Orbistertius. You know, there's a, there's this encyclopedia that has this passage and uh, of a place, and uh, he remembers it. And then a friend of his, I think he has the same edition, but when he goes to it, it's the, the passage is not there. And so when he goes back to his book. And it's also not there. So basically, with digital books, you can change. Like, I'm doing this reading, like maybe Jorge Riporte wasn't thinking about, like, literally digital books, but, you know, he was a genius, and maybe he was already talking about the dangers of uh, changing the content. And with digital books, you can actually change passages. And maybe in 100 years, like, you'll be reading uh, an entire different book. And we're already seeing this happen in the newspaper industry. If the readers don't react uh, the way that they want to react, they can just edit it. And, you know, if you don't screen capture it, there's no documentation. So 
I mean, that, that's one of the big dangers of, of, of digitalizing mm. everything. You still need an original, tangible object. It's proof of work. And, you know, I, I bet I have to remind everybody that are um, more supportive of the digital books. The, the printed books have been along for more than 500 years already. They've proven, the, you know, the passage of time. We can't say the same for digital books. It's what, like uh, 15 years? It's nothing. I'm so glad to hear you say that because uh, I had a very intense debate recently about ebooks and whether they're better, they're worse, what's the story. And I mean, of course, you know, you can debate in different ways. I'm sure there are many people listening to our podcast who do have a Kindle and they read books online, and that is, of course, totally fine. They're great tools. You can have the whole history of book publishing in, uh, you know, in your phone. That's true. And you can read everything that you want. But that's not a book. Like we were talking about different things. Texts, text is something. Content is something. Books are, are entirely a different thing. That's it. End of, end of debate. <laughs> so um, Samuel, as we're coming close to the end of our conversation, I would really like to ask you for a book recommendation. You already mentioned a lot of authors that you like, uh, many of them from Puerto Rico. And I wonder, you know, if there was one book that you'd say, okay, if you've never read a Puerto Rican author, this is it. This is the book you should read. What would that book be? Um, that would be Shadow Play by Juan Luis Ramos. It's not translated yet, but, you know, we'll try. <laughs> we'll, we'll probably get it translated, or, or he'll get it translated, but it's a great book. And if you want to know about the Puerto Rican uh, culture, contemporary culture, definitely that's a book that will transport you to our experience or Caribbean experience, yeah. Okay, I have to mention another one, sorry. Los Dias Habiles by Sergio Gutierrez. Yeah, those two. Uh, Los Dias Habiles, I think that would be translated into, I don't know, like the handy days or the gifted days. Mm -hmm. But um, you, can, you can Google it and maybe an Amazon will, <laughs> <laughs> a link will show up. <laughs> we will buy it from a real bookshop. Oh, yeah. Look, uh, Puerto Rican bookstores, go to La Magica. Go to, I have to, you know, make a shout out. La Magica, they have an online store. Laberinto, they also have an online store. Norberto Gonzalez, they also have an online store. And uh, Libros Siete Siete, they also have a, an online store. So many options, huh? No need to, to go to Amazon to buy books anymore. <laughs> Thank you so much for chatting with us today, Samuel, and for telling us a little bit about the story of Libros Ace um, and also about what people read in Puerto Rico. And we very much hope to, to keep in touch and to talk to you again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to our chat today. We'll see you back here in two weeks. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe, follow us on social media, and leave us voice messages at anchor.fm slash cardbooks. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy a good book.